My name is Nancy Beecham and I am a compulsive overeater and a very happy one. And I'd like to welcome you to this meeting of overeaters. <clears throat> and the picture says a thousand words. So this is me in June 28th, 1976, just before I went to my very first meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And this is me as a teenager, blown up like a balloon, laughed at and bullied every day. And I was so ashamed, I'd already blanked out my face, but you sure could see all the cakes I was feeding everybody. I'd like to, before I begin, thank Kathy. I've been speaking all over the world and my voice is strained and I wanna be able to speak at the marathon tomorrow. So she stepped in from Louisiana to do a beautiful job of leading this meeting as she always does. And I wanna welcome all of you, especially my friend, Melissa in Florida, who I know is struggling and my dear friend, Alyssa, who's hit this program with ground running and is a very obedient person to sponsor. And I'm so thrilled Supraj is here from India. Isn't this amazing? And I'd like to begin the meeting by bringing in this woman. For those of you who did not have the honor and pleasure of meeting her or have not attended any of our workshops on the history of Overeaters Anonymous, may I introduce you to Roseanne Scholar. Roseanne S. is the founder of Overeaters Anonymous. And because this woman was willing to sacrifice family and life and her integrity and everything she had, because she believed that this could happen, I believe I am alive today and this meeting is here. And I would like to make a request for everybody who can. I know there's extenuating circumstances, but if you have your camera off, please don't hide in overuse anonymous. Don't let us talk to an empty square. We want to see your eyes. The magic happened when one person looks at another and you get to believe that I believe, so maybe you can believe. And I'd like to begin this meeting by honoring Roseanne and the women that founded this program. And here's the favorite prayer that she always started every meeting with. Happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, worship God. Painful moments, oh, thank God. But for every moment, I mean, painful moments, trust God. But every moment, thank God. And the other prayer I'll open with to join us together was written at the 25th anniversary of Overeaters Anonymous when um, Thelma, who sponsored Roseanne, our founder, um, sponsored a woman named Jean Jaffe Smith, who was our Dr. Bob. She was like the spiritual entity. And Roseanne had taken out God from the 12 steps and, and with Jean's help and with the help of uh, Jim Willis, who founded Gamblers Anonymous, they made her put the steps back into, into the program before and Overeaters Anonymous was able to ratify our 12 steps. We didn't have books until the 80s because of all the changes that were being made. And here's the poem that Jean jumped up on the stage at that convention, and here's what she read. And we all got this in parchment papers, and most of us have it framed in our home. As I walk with God, I stop running. And as I stop running, I can face myself. And as I face myself, I am facing God. Jean Smith, 1984, Overeaters Anonymous. Roseanne was a great lover of music. And for those of you who don't know, we have a pledge at Overeaters Anonymous, and the pledge is I put my hand in yours. And I believe I put my hand in yours came because um, there was a great philosopher, and he always said, we are walking each other home. 
And Roseanne believed if you put one hand in a newcomer and one hand in an old timer, we would be walking each other home. But when I came here, I suffered from grand loneliness. Now, I don't know that it really even matters, you know, that I was born during the war and, and there was great upheaval and I was a little kid and I mean, I was just barely an infant, maybe under a year old and they thought my father was dying and they, they had him at army bases and they, they thought I was really cute and they kept feeding me, you know, and there's some kids that can handle a lot of milk and some that can't. And in those days, a fat little chubby baby was the thing to be. I actually became the Red Cross baby and I was on in newspapers, magazines and all kinds of things. But I was already was the beginning of trouble for me. And they started feeding me food and I was probably too young, but I was able to just gum it down. You know, at that time, you didn't really eat until you were like a year. And I just loved it. It was like more numi numi and cabbage. Boy, I wanted that sweet cabbage and pasquetti. <laughs> That's all I ever asked for, ketchup and spaghetti. And that began a journey for me that was to end up in rolling dope over the border with heroin addicts, having children, because thinking if I had a baby, somebody would love me forever, because absolutely nobody did. And then, of course, when things settled down and my dad lived, it was seven years or eight years later, my mother got pregnant and a brother was born who was to be totally blind. And here was this family that was all over the place and never with me. I was always with relatives and neighbors. And finally, we were a family and this kid gets born who's blind. Can you imagine the upheaval in my life? One more time, I was abandoned and left alone and I got the idea they were horrible parents. I never thought about things like, what was like for my mom when she tried to become a brownie leader, but I was the only kid in the brownie troop that could not fit into a uniform. You know, it must have been horrific for her. I wonder what it was like for her on Halloween when everybody had candy. Because back in those days in the 40s and the early 50s, they didn't know about apple slices and why don't you give the kids toys instead of that? Give them toothbrushes or, or just have a party and play games and don't make food the big thing about Halloween. You can have all kinds of other things. They didn't know about these things that we know now. We weren't taught in grammar school about health. And also my mom did not understand that what the parents did, the child will do. And she didn't understand that I was raised in this home with all this tension and all this fear and she didn't have any career. And what would she do if my father died and my grandparents who didn't speak English came to live with us to pay the bills. And it was just a nightmare. And so I became irritable, restless and discontent and frightened and terrified. And I don't know that all that matters. I know what matters is that I got to a point where this song was all I thought about. Death was all I thought about. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and there's a sweet song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the sun and the rain, sorry, though your dreams may be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone. Walk on with awe, walk on and you'll never walk alone. And one day through a large serious circumstances, 45 years ago, 150 pounds larger than I am right now, I walked on through the storm. I walked on through the rain and I sat in the promised land. I took my first seat and my room of Overeaters Anonymous. And in those days, something happened to me. And I believe it's because I didn't have anything left. 
I believe because I was beaten to a pulp and I had not one answer. If you have one answer of one alternative thing that you might do to lose weight, to feel better, this program probably won't work. It's when you come in here and there's nothing left and you know it's over. And that's how I felt that night on June 28, 1976, 45 and a half years ago. And you know what happened was that they talked about these things that you just heard, and I'm so saddened. Many meetings are actually taking, they're not even reading about food, and they're not even reading the tools, and they're not teaching you what you can do to get better. They're taking out the Lord's Prayer because it's Christian. Well, I'm Jewish, and my sponsor said to me, you know, you know, Nancy, you just changed God to good. And every time they say Jesus or something that you don't believe in, you just change it to good. Because this meeting says, take what you want and leave the rest here. You know, and if the only meeting that's going to save you is in a Catholic church, you go to the meeting. And that's what I learned. I learned that it doesn't matter what my grandmother thinks. And it doesn't matter what my mom thinks. Doesn't matter what my husband thinks, because after all, he's beating me up every day. It doesn't matter what my boss thinks. He tells me I'm too fat to take lunch breaks. And I'm so grateful when that husband comes home to beat me again. I'm so grateful when that boss lets me in, because after all, how would I pay the bills? And this is the mind I came in with here. It's something had to happen to me. It's called a spiritual experience. It's called growing up. Something had to happen to me where I could look at the same window in the same seat and I see something different. Because when I looked out my window, all I saw were the dead leaves. And now all I see is the birds and I hear them singing and I see the colors and I see beauty. And that's the transformation that can happen in Overeaters Anonymous. And it's very clear. The book is very clear. It says, if you do not do these things, if you do not abstain, you will not be able to work the steps. It just says it right in it. And it says, if I had time, I'd tell you where. And it says to us, we only have a couple of alternatives. We will go insane. We will end up in a mental hospital. We will go to jail or get in a lot of trouble, whether it's locked in a prison of our own home, we're afraid to go out and embarrassed, or we think we're so fat, we don't want to be seen, even when we're not. And they said, this is not a condition of weight, because why do so many of us lose so much weight? And then again, oh my God, my skin's bad. Oh my God, I have a, my, my this is, you're going to have vestiges of your fat. If hey, you live a long time, very heavy. You will not get away with it. There are things we have to write about, things we have to talk about, things we have to work out. There are things that happened to me that just weren't true that I believed were true. And so for me, something had to happen. And I had to immerse myself in this program called Overeaters Anonymous. And it's hard for me when people come in and they tell me their circumstances are bad. What do you mean bad? I had two small kids. I had a man who left who was coming over with guns and saying to me, if you go to those meetings, I'm going to kill you and the kids. I had the restraining orders. I worked seven days a week for this man that told me I was too fat. And yet I managed to go to meetings every day. And I managed to get a food sponsor who could only talk to me at 4.30 in the morning. And I got up and called her. And I managed, you know, to do service, to become a delegate, because you only had to do that once a month, and to go to region and world service, and really begin to understand and study this program. Somehow, I wrote a letter to every group I was in, and oh, God, was I a busy person. You know, I was so busy helping everybody in the world, but I was dying. And so for me, Overeaters Anonymous means that there's one person who decided to abstain, and that woman decided that she would spend time helping me. And that's how this program works. It works when one person 
sits up all night and is willing to inconvenience themselves. And the two of us sit in our pajamas and we talk everything through. It's not because service to me is not when I speak today, I get no credit. It's when I see somebody, I'm going to be 80, but when I see somebody my age who's bent over and can't walk, dropping their groceries, that I run out of my door in my nightgown and I help them. It's not convenient. It's not what you do. But at Overeaters Anonymous, we learn that we have strength and we have power and we're worth so much. And I think that's part of the problem is that I had to find out that I was building an arch, it says in the book for which I would walk a free man. And the gift here is that I have moments of peace and I have moments of quiet. And I have moments when I can sit and actually listen to you and that I care. When somebody that calls me, I can get attached and I can learn what love is. I was so busy falling in love with every guy at the coffee pot and bringing them home to help support us. Even if they got out of jail, I figured, well, this guy probably has a few bucks because he's getting money from the state. So if he moves in, I'll fix him. And I didn't understand why the kids were hiding in closets, scared to death all the time. Now, you know, I can't tell these children who still don't talk to me in their 50s now, I can't tell them, I'm sorry, it doesn't cut it. They're deeply scarred. It's up to them. They know where to go. And I have to pull back and allow them through the grace of a sister program. I've had to learn to, to have restraint of pen and ten and leave them alone. I've had to learn in my life, there's many people who have walked away from me because I got well, especially family members. But for a while and for many years, I was not able to go to Thanksgiving dinners. I will not be eating matzah tomorrow because it's not on my abstinence and it's just another Sunday. I will not be having Easter eggs, but I have a lot of little toys and the kids that come by Easter egg hunting, I'm going to give them a little toy, you know, and that's what I've learned to do in Overeaters Anonymous. I don't pass on my disease because I had it. And I'm a person who was bullied and laughed at and I tried so hard. I wanted to belong. I remember running for student body secretary in junior high. And of course, I was a mess. Who was going to vote for me? And that disappointment, I kept walking into the fire. The most important thing to me is that people are not in my life who disrespect me. And I finally got willing 20 years ago to sell that old house and all those memories and move on. The kids were gone and I was grown up. But here's the joy. There's a little girl named Annie who's 20 years old who's found herself in a school called Deep Springs. And I saw her on 60 Minutes and she's my granddaughter and she found me. And she thought, first thing she did when she flew here three years ago was to go in my closets and see if there were drunk men because that's what her mother told me. And she said, "You, where's my grandmother? And I said, I'm your grandmother. And she said, but you can't be. You wait, you're a huge fat woman who's a mess and you're beautiful and you're stunning. And you live in a beautiful place called Playa Vista among so many amazing people. And she met all my friends, but the first thing I did was put her in the car and take her to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous so she could learn what this is about. And I'm so excited that she now is trying to separate from her family. And she called and said, I haven't seen you and I want to come spend my vacation with you. And I think she's going to be here in a week. And what I've done is I have no expectations and I don't know how it's a big trip from here to get here, but we'll get her here. And there are people coming out of the walls who will go to Union Station or if she goes to the airport, we'll pick her up there. And I just know in my gut, it's going to be okay. How did this happen to somebody like me? A wrench like me, they wrote songs about me, you know, and about horrible people who destroy your lives. And, you know, if you didn't ask me to dance at a dance, I'd put out your tires in the parking lot because this disease progresses. And this, disease, I also thought I was only hurting me. 
And I didn't realize that I was that tornado. I was that tornado in the big book that was roaring through life. You know, I babysat when I was young. What about those children? I ate all their food, their baby food. They probably didn't even get their, they certainly didn't get their pudding, but they certainly didn't get their food for that night because I ate half of it. What about those people who paid me to watch their children? I was so busy figuring out how I could sneak food and get things out and get the bags back in right or get just the right amount of cereal out of the packages. I never even probably heard those kids cry. And what about all that? So I've had to do some wonderful things here, like go and turn vic burn victims in hospitals. And I've taken, I've gone to work for CASA, you know, where I defended a lot of, of children whose parents were alcoholics to get them away and get them in safe places. And we learn here that we can run General Motors. We're really not that stupid because you made me go to work and you made me stand on my own two feet and become a worker among workers. The secret was for the first 10 years, they didn't let us talk or do much. They taught us don't take over readers anonymous, do simple things. You know, in those days we cleaned coffee pots and washed ashtrays. So now we greet people and we, read, we volunteer to read at meetings. Those are the people that are gonna succeed here. But all the time, there's so much to learn and so much joy and so much excitement in Los Angeles. Oh my God, we have bingo parties and we have proms and we just don't know our region two convention was so much fun. The theme of it was happy. You know, we all sang and danced and did yoga in between the learning. And so I'm gonna share for the newcomers a few things real quick. This is my cooler. And inside my cooler, I take it with me every day. And my food sponsor taught me a lot about behaviors. And I eat salt-free now. So here's my salt-free tuna and my spring, string beans. And she said, if you're serious, bring a can opener. And then in my refrigerator, I keep this. Now you don't see this often at meetings. The damn stuff always killed me and we don't talk about it. Here is my bell pepper, all cut up and ready to go for the weekend because I'm speaking a lot. My apples that I cut into slices and nuke. So if I have to have, I have my three meals, but if I have to have a snack, I've got this stuff already. And here's, for instance, my broccoli, all ready to go, you know, all cooked. And I have salads prepared and my little portions of chicken and, and things. And if I have to go away because there's an emergency, I'm able to pop them in the cooler with some ice and I can have no excuse not to stay on my abstinence. And I learned all this here. I learned to count to 10 before I eat and all kinds of marvelous things. And so I wanna tell you that this is a program of freedom from food, but that's just one first half of the, of the steps, of the first step. And we have a lot of other steps that do a lot of other things here. So I hope you learn that step one to three is where we give up. Step four to six is where we clean up our mess. Seven to eight is we make up with ourselves and the universe. And steps 12, 10 to 12, we get to grow up on a daily basis. All I'm asked here is to make my bed. All I'm asked here is to every day help another human being and try to see God. And I wanna make sure, you know, 20 minutes goes fast when you've been around here a long time. Yeah, unfortunately, you can go on for hours. I wanna kind of share with you the definition of success that I see it in Overeaters Anonymous. Two minutes. To laugh often and to love much. To win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children. To earn the appreciation of honest critics and to endure the behavior of false friends. To appreciate beauty and to find the best in others. To leave the world a bit better 
whether you raise a healthy child, whether you grow a garden and appreciate that helping to redeem a social condition is something you really can do. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. You are a success, which means when this meeting is over, all you have to do is call one person, a neighbor who maybe is having a hard day. Tell them next time you go to the store, what can you get for them? You don't talk about yourself. You know, you call one relative who you know has been struggling and you ask them, I haven't talked to you in ages. How are you doing today? I'm having a fine day. Are you on your porch? You put a bunch of flowers so people who are isolated can come by. I will tell you that the old timers and overeaters anonymous and sadly and frighteningly, there isn't a lot of us. We have had a great time during the pandemic. We're getting old now, you know, like the group of us that came in and had, if you have 45 years of abstinence and you came in at 33, you're now 80. And um, when you get older, it's not so easy to get on a plane and do a report, uh, do a retreat in Australia or fly to Ireland and, and help them do a convention. But on Zoom, we're able to go all over the world and we're like youngsters, you know, I feel like I'm 40. And now when somebody calls me and they're having a crisis or something's wrong, give me an hour. And I'll find a solution. Because if I don't know where there's a solution, I know I can say I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And if you've got a medical problem, I think nothing of calling doctors that I know who will pick up the phone in a minute. Because people have respect for us. They have respect for us when we walk around with our head high and we do our homework and we come in calm and peacefully. And, and I think it's okay to do the right thing. That's the most important thing. That's what I've learned here. When nobody's wearing a mask, if I need to wear a mask, I wear a mask. And if they laugh at me, they're not my friends. If I go to a restaurant and they don't have what I need to eat and I pull out my tuna and put it in and it bothers them, I go eat at another table. I no longer go. Again, I no longer walk into the fire. I go where I'm loved and I go where I wanted. And tomorrow I will tell you that I will be sharing at 12 o'clock lunchtime at the big OA marathon that goes on for 17 hours out of Florida because people did it for me back then. And I don't belong in a place with a million people loaded with candy or a whole bunch of people with food. I'll, I'll, I will take my kids to the shopping center and let them play games or to the park, you know, where it's free, but I'm not getting bound up anymore with people who tell me we made vegetables and it's okay to eat when they're loaded with things I can't eat, you know? And so I just want to thank you. And I want to share one thing. I always bring my car so I can get away on a holiday. And I've learned if I go to an event and it's not for me, I can always leave. And that's the thing that I've learned here is to take care of myself because I can't help you if I don't care of you, take care of me. So I want to just close by saying, if you take the I out of illness, and replace it with we, you get wellness. And this is a matter of addiction. It's giving up everything for one thing. And recovery is giving up one thing. And trust me with all my heart, you will get everything. Thank you. And let me close by thanking Kathy again for stepping in to lead this meeting so I'll have some voice left. Thank you.